Welcome to Just Punk Enough. I'm your host, Andy Harrison. You're listening to KNBC 95.1 FM, Carson City. Thanks for joining me. I've got an awesome show tonight. I did an interview with a hero of mine, a guy I never thought I'd talk to, Scott Radinsky from Poli. He was also in 10-Foot Pole and Scared Straight. Poli is easily one of my favorite punk bands of all time. Tons of influence from them. And, uh, man, this was awesome. I can't believe he let me talk to him. And uh, we talked for like an hour. Cool dude. Totally cool dude. And we got into some baseball, too. He was a Dodger for a while, which is pretty amazing to me, man. I've never talked to a pro baseball player, either. I've always liked punk and baseball. I don't know. always thought they went hand-in-hand for some reason. But, um... Enough about that. Let's jump into this interview, man, because it's about an hour long. So enjoy Scott Radinsky from Poli. Thanks for joining me. So uh, where did you grow up? So I grew up in the San Fernando Valley, uh-huh. suburb of Los Angeles. Yeah. Um, and then I uh, ended up moving out to Simi Valley at some point, like around junior high school age. Yeah. And when did you, uh, when was your kind of first experience with uh, uh, music to where you were like, oh man, this is uh, something that kind of speaks to me? Um, there was a, there was a kid that lived across the street from me who was in sixth grade when I was in, I think, first grade. And, uh, he turned me on to the Queen record, Uh News of the World. And then he made me this, actually made me an eight track tape. And I had some Ted Nugent songs, and I had this this Queen record, and uh, and then I would be flipping through the you know the radio or whatever that my parents had in the house. Yeah. And um, and then I discovered Kiss somewhere around second grade. Yeah. And I and I totally got into like like rock or whatever you want to call it. Yeah. And uh, that that was probably the band that impacted me the most into a like really digging music. Yeah. Did you do you remember your first um, taste of punk rock? Oh yeah, for sure. Um, that was also early. Um, God, I was, uh, I think it was the summer before I went into eighth grade. Yeah. So somewhere in the early eighties and, um, I heard, I want to say it was the circle jerks some fear, the fear, you know, the record. Yeah. Um, and then it just kind of went from there. Yeah. It just kept blowing up. And then, and then that uh, someone got their head kicked in record came out. All right. I remember that same that same summer. And and then, uh, God, all these bands are local bands, and it was cool. It's like this is like Southern California. Yeah. So it was it was pretty awesome. Do you remember what show you went to first, or what punk band you saw first? Yep, I saw Fear at oh, this cool. place called Devonshire Downs. Um, Fear, Angry Samoans, wow. band called anti and then uh i saw a few other gigs well i know one of the first like handful of shows i saw was minor threat at this place called rollerworks oh wow and that was uh that was pretty cool suicidal tendencies played that night nice youth brigade um the that whole byo thing that was pretty big out here at the time and um so they were putting on gigs all over the place and it seemed like you know, you'd get a flyer and, oh, hey, there's another gig next week. And, yeah. of course, none of, none of us drove. So we would be like the guys who's someone's mom would drop us off like a block away. We'd go to the gig and then somebody else's mom would pick us up a block away afterwards. Yeah. <laughs> That's cool. So were you, um, I mean, were you musical at this point? Like, did you know that you wanted to, to sing in bands or, um, you know? What were you? I played drums. Oh, okay. I, we 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 kind of had a band. Yeah. Um, going, it would have been in ninth grade, somewhere around probably eighty two, eighty three. Yeah. We had a band in a junior high, and we started a band early because we ended up playing our junior high at lunchtime. Oh, okay. Well, like on the on the amphitheater there, but um, I played drums. We had a guitar player, bass player, and a singer. And we played a lot of cover songs. Yeah. We played like the Circle Jerks. We played Fear. Uh-huh. We, you know, just a lot of punk rock cover songs. We had a couple of our own, but 
mostly it was cover songs, GBH. And then uh, we recorded, uh, we got asked to record on this record. You know, our kind of local scene out here was, was uh, based out of kind of Oxnard, California area, so yep. it was called Nardcore. Yeah. And this band called Ill Repute, they were, uh, Tony, the guitar player, was putting together this compilation on Mystic Records, and it was going to be called Nardcore, and he asked us to record. So we went in and recorded, and I actually played drums uh, on, the, on the recording. And our singer, uh, he might have been 15 at the time. Yeah. He, he had to go on vacation with his parents somewhere over the summer, and, and they kept calling us. Yeah. And they kept saying, you know, hey, we need you guys to come down here and finish off these tracks. we got to get this record together. Yeah. So somehow I ended up going down there and singing huh. on, the, on the tracks as well. So I played drums and I sang. Wow. And then uh, I guess I just kept singing after that. We, just, we found a drummer, and, and I guess we played the rest of the summer with this other guy playing drums, and, and I just... Kind of fell into singing that way. That's the scared straight stuff? Correct. That's cool. Were you skateboarding and into baseball at this time, too? Well, I pretty much played baseball my whole life. And, uh-huh. and you know, I, I got a skateboard probably when I was in. I don't know, first grade, second yeah. grade, riding around the block, nothing serious. But, yeah. but yeah, I was totally into skating. But skating really got, got big for me right around ninth, 10th, 11th grade, okay. around that period. Yeah. I mean, like I said, I played baseball pretty much my whole life growing up. Yeah. So, uh, you know, it seemed like a lot of friends, we all got into skating around the same time. We had this abandoned country club literally three blocks from my house. Yeah. And uh, it was me and my brother and these two kids across the street that actually discovered it. And we bailed out the water and we started riding our bicycles in it at first. Yeah. And um, and then uh, we eventually somehow figured a way to kick turn. And yeah. And next thing you know, this thing blew up and it, it was kind of went on for about two years. And it was like the most happening spot ever. Oh, wow. And there was people coming from all over. There was pros that would come and it was a killer pool. Yeah. And it was just an abandoned country club in the middle of a field. And it was a cool spot. It was a cool hangout. And, and uh, I really got exposed to, a, a, like, punk rock outside of our community yeah. with all these people that were coming in and skating. So oh, that's cool. That was kind of a cool period in my life that, that yeah. time. Yeah. So when you were doing the Scared Straight stuff, you guys, uh, you were playing shows. And, I mean, did you have any plans to keep going with Scared Straight? Yeah, we were we did it. We were uh, I mean, we had toured. We did a U.S. tour. We had done some tours through Texas, Arizona, New Mexico, like during Christmas vacation. Yeah, you know, in high school. Yeah. Um. And and we had put out a seven inch, and we had recorded a full length album, all with Mystic Records. Yeah. And um, we were pretty much scared straight all the way up until somewhere around the early '90s, and we even recorded the first ten foot pole record, which is called Swill, was uh-huh. originally recorded as a scared straight record, oh, okay. and we pressed about three thousand of them with the scared straight name. Wow! And somewhere in the middle of that pressing, we decided we were going to change the name, and so we 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 went to Kinkos or wherever it was and we made these <laughs> stickers and we were literally opening up every jewel case and we were slapping a 10 foot pole sticker on top of all the scared straight stuff and yeah. we blacking out with a Sharpie anywhere it said scared straight. And I think the reason behind that was times were kind of changing. The music for us definitely changed from yeah. what we were doing yeah. to that record. And we were trying to make a conscious effort of, kind of make going in a new direction we, we became better musically the, yeah. the songs were better structured we had better singing and um we just kind of wanted to i guess we had been scared straight for probably a little over 10 years at that point yeah so we were just looking to kind of start something new and so that's when 10 foot pole evolved but yeah it was pretty much scared straight for it was definitely mo- most of the 80s and the early part of the 90s yeah i didn't even know that um 10 foot pole had a first album i was always uh, under the assumption that rev was the first album i didn't find this out until like two years ago <laughs> yeah well like i said it technically it, it really was a scared straight yeah. album but it, it was released under 10 foot pole yeah so when you guys um how did you guys get hooked up with epitaph after you were uh, uh 10 foot pole for a while 
Well, it was a simple story. We uh, we we did that first record, Swill. Yeah. Um, now, granted, think about how times have changed. Yeah. I I I, I made a handwritten letter to Brett. I put the I put the CD in an envelope and I sent it to him and said, "Hey, we'd really like to be on your record label." Yeah. And <laughs> he called me, and I could hear he had like the third song going on in the, in the background. Yeah. And I and I was like, "Damn, he's actually listening to our record." Yeah, and he called cool. me up and he was on like about the third song and he said, "Hey, man," he's like, "Hey, this is Brett from Epitaph. I really dig your record. I want to put out I want to put out your record." Yeah. Like, awesome. Yeah. So that was, so then you guys got signed and then recorded Rev, right? And then we recorded Rev. Yeah, okay. That's cool, man. I love that album so much. Yeah, that was a fun record. That yeah. was a that was a good time for the band, a good time for everybody. Yeah. So it was a good time for mu- good time for music. Oh yeah, for sure, man. That's like the golden years of of skate mm-hmm. punk, you know, like um so what happened after uh, Ten Foot Pole? Because you left uh, Ten Foot Pole, correct? No. 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 <laughs> okay. <laughs> um. Uh, we recorded Rev. Yeah. We had done a tour with No Effects and Face to Face. Uh huh. Now, granted, this is like somewhere around '94, '95. Yeah. yeah. I started playing baseball at age six. I've been going on ten years of yeah. nine years of playing baseball. Yeah. Um, we recorded Rev. Baseball season started. We did this no effects tour. Yeah. Baseball season started. I took off and and uh, you know it's just like every other year it was. Uh, you know those guys went back to their jobs. And yeah. Everybody kind of had lives. You know our bass player was a he worked at a veterinarian office. Our guitar player owned a carpet cleaning business. Yeah. The other guitar player had a, a sound business. And and so it was just kind of like normal thing. And about halfway through that baseball season, somewhere around June or July, I got a phone call from Dennis, the uh-huh. guitar player, mm-hmm. and he said, "Hey, uh, we want to continue the band without you, and we're going to get another singer." Huh. And he said, "But what we'll do is we'll be ten foot pole eight months out of the year, and then the four months that you're available, we'll stop what we're doing, and we'll be the musicians to your new band." And I kind of, I laughed at first, and right. I said, "Well, what do you mean? You yeah. kick me out of my own band, and yeah. and um, or ask me to leave, however, however you want to word it." Yeah. And and what I thought was even more funnier is here, these guys are going to offer to be the musicians. Like, well, geez, thanks. You <laughs> yeah, know, I said, no, "No thanks." Yeah. And uh, it, that went on for about a week, and and then finally I just realized, like, well, they're they're just going to do it. And yeah. That's the way it's going to be. And yeah. the record label was supporting them, and. So I called Brett and said, well, what, how does that work? And he said, put a band together and I'll, I'll put it out for you. Huh. You know, get a band together and put some songs together and I'll put it out. Wow. So uh, within probably 24 hours, I, I, I called my friends and we put together Pulley. And uh, I think we wrote and recorded. Uh, I came home, baseball season would have been over in October. And, uh-huh. and we probably wrote and recorded the record in like two months and started playing some shows. Yeah. And that's kind of where that's been. That's awesome, man. So no, I, I mean, I know, I know, I've had to go around the world and and kind of explain the same story. Yeah. I never left. I never quit. It wasn't a. It was just a decision on their part of you know they wanted to become a full time band and yeah. And uh, what what could I? What was I going to do to stand in the way? I yeah. mean, I mean, I was I disappointed. Yeah. Did I think it was the wrong decision? Yeah. I I, I thought well why don't you guys start your own band for eight months out of the year and let's keep 10 foot pole for this four months like yeah. we have for the previous 10 years. And, and, you know, we finally accomplished something. And I just think that, I don't want to say greed, but yeah. it just kind of got to the point where they just, they wanted to go for it. And, yeah. you know, and, and, and personally as a fan of music, I, I, I think it was a mistake. Yeah. Yeah. So esteem driven engine, that was the first pulley record that that's the one you were talking about. Correct. 
and that and like you were friends with Matt Riddle and, and that's how he got on that album well we knew Matt from from actually I mean I knew Matt from being on tour with him yeah. um, you know we had done a like I said the tour with Face to Face and No Effect so uh-huh. I had familiarity and we had played shows with them they're kind of a Southern California type band yeah um, and he had literally just left Face to Face yeah right around this time and he claims that you know, he put his bass away in the in the corner and, and just never picked it up, and he was done. Yeah. So, the first thing I did was I called Jordan, um, the previous drummer for Ten Foot Pole or uh-huh. Share Straight, who we actually kicked out of the band or asked him to leave. Right. And he was the first phone call I made. Asked him if he wanted to play drums in the band and just have fun, and he said, "Yeah." I called up an old roommate of mine, this guy Mike, who had played bass and Scared Straight, and uh-huh. he played guitar, and I said, do you want to be in a band and just have fun? And he said, yeah. <laughs> and I knew Jim Cherry. He was a local Simi Valley guy that yeah. you know was in town here, and he was strung out and had kind of just started. Yeah. And um, and he said, well, yeah, I, I mean, he wanted to play guitar. Yeah. He, 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 he wrote music on guitar. He played bass and strung out, yeah. but he was also a guitar player and, and had songs that he wanted to write through a different outlet so he was kind of a good fit and he had said well why don't we call Matt Riddle he he just yeah. left face to face yeah so we called and and I mean within two days Matt drove down and I want to say within five days we had like 10 songs and yeah. it was just a perfect I mean I had played in the band for 10 years up to that point yeah and here here we were like not strangers but we were strangers to each other as far as being in a band together yeah, totally. and it was just so natural and so easy and we just we walked in the room we started playing and everybody kind of got each other right away yeah and it just it just flowed and it just it, it, it was good that's got to feel great man you know yeah it that's so hard to find you know <laughs> there's usually a lot of bitterness when you put five people in a room trying to play music oh, and, and it's tough um this this was just so fresh and yeah. and it was just it was good yeah so Epitaph put that out, and you guys just um, toured when you could for, you know, promoting that record. Yeah, we we, I mean, for the most part, we would. I mean, we had done a European tour, I think, in every year of the existence of the band. Well, we had been parts of Canada. We do Canadian, you know, swings and and yeah. bits and pieces of the U.S. when we could. Yeah, but it, uh, you know, it just seemed like not that it was hard in the U.S. It's just. We could go to Europe and we could play, and, and it just seemed like wow, it, was, it really went over well, and people were into it. Yeah, you know, we'd go all, we'd go all the way to Atlanta, and you know, there, not to knock it, but there would just be you know a handful of people, and it was like oh, yeah, whatever, you know. So so we just kind of that was kind of the whole objective of Pulley was we're going to do what we can when we can. Yeah, we're going to have fun. We're not going to try to make a living at it. Yeah. And we're going to kind of pick and choose where we go. We're going to go to the places where it goes over well. So, yeah. you know, certain parts of Canada, South America, uh-huh. Asia, and, and Europe. And, and that's kind of what we've done over the last 25 years. And, yeah. it's, it's, and we're still doing it because yeah. it's fun. That's awesome. So 60 Cycle Hum was after that. Who played bass on that? Because Matt was gone by then, right? He joined No Use. Matt uh, played with Pulley for about two years. Uh-huh. And then he got off of the No Use for a Name uh, gig. Yeah. So on 60 Cycle Hum, uh, Jim played bass oh, okay. and guitar. Oh, okay. Cool. Yeah. And did Jim sing some of those songs? He sang bits and pieces, like some, yeah. some parts, not full songs, but he definitely had lines where he sang. Yeah. And he sang all the backups. Yeah. That's cool, man. That That's a great album, too. And then... Um, so uh, then your self-titled came out after that. Is that what it's called? I mean, I never have known what to call that album. I think that's kind of the name it took on itself. Yeah, yeah. it was just self-titled. Yeah. That one uh, that, that one was the first one with t- uh, Tyler on the bass, right? Correct. Yeah. That um, album is probably in my top ten of all time albums. I love I, – I, that's kind of what got me into – really got me into skate punk was that album, so – I, uh, oh, cool. I love that album so much, man.
that was a cool process. You know, we all we all went as a band together up and basically lived in the studio up in San Francisco. Yeah. And and we recorded the record. You know, spent like seven, ten days tracking and recording, and and then I stayed a couple days longer. You know, to to sing and then yeah. and, and, and stay as part of the mix. But yeah, that was that was a cool experience because we were like we were just there together jamming the whole time. So yeah. It had a cool vibe to it. Oh, that's cool. So why'd you guys go up to the bay to do that? Um, the guy we were working with, this guy Ryan Green, had yeah. just opened a studio up there with okay. Fat Mike um, called Motor Studios. Yeah. So rather than Ryan come down and, and spend the time down here, it just seemed easier and more uh, uh, financially better to just go up there and, and, uh, and knock it out. Yeah. Well, I noticed you guys kind of... Um, like recorded albums your first three albums so close together like in within two years of each other is that just because you guys just had so much material or i mean or it just happened that way um well we had songs flowing out but you know we also wanted to like seem like we wanted to keep putting out new music and yeah. and going out and playing and we were part of a record label that you know at that time was things were kind of fast-paced yeah. so you know, we were just uh, trying to keep up with everything, and, and um, I think after the first three records, we slowed down a little bit. Yeah. But but um, definitely the second one for me was really rushed. Yeah. Um, I don't know if it was as well thought out as it probably should have been, but we kind of just we put it together, and 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 that was that. Um, the first record was 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 pretty good, um, but you know, like I said, the third record, just the whole experience. You know, we were. We had been together now for a couple. Of, we we kind of knew the direction we wanted to go. Um, myself and Jim and Mike, you know, uh -huh. kind of took over the songwriting, and and um, it just it just kind of it, it gelled. Yeah, yeah. So uh, together again for the first time that came out in two thousand and one, and you guys went to Motor Studios again because um, mm -hmm. working with with Ryan again, just because it was a good experience, or just just because Epitaph worked with them. Uh, well, Ryan was our thing, you know. We we did the first record with him. Yeah. We uh, we actually did the second re record with a buddy of ours. We did the third record with Ryan, and um, you know we just had that comfortability, that familiarity with him, so it was easy to go and knock it out. He knew us, we knew them. But we were like one of Ryan's first punk bands ever he ever recorded. Yeah. Um, he recorded, I think it was uh, Drunken Public. Uh -huh. Right? Is that the name of that record? That yep. no effect. So that was the first punk record Ryan ever did. Yeah. And then he recorded us and strung out. So we were like always like one of his first bands yeah. before he just started doing everybody. And once yeah. once once he started doing all the fat stuff, it's like he did every record, you know, that ever really came out during that time. But yeah, for sure. So it was just it was cool to go up and hang out with him and record and and um so we went up there with him and and, and, and just yeah, knocked knocked out that record as well. Yeah, um, I I kind of find it odd that well, I guess I don't find it odd, but it was kind of a Fat Records studio, but you know, Epitaph was recording there too. I mean, I guess everybody in the punk community were were pretty close anyway, not really enemies, you know. Yeah, I mean, it's kind of funny. Like we were an Epitaph band for yeah. you know over ten years, and we were put out our records on Epitaph and. We were on all the you know compilations and yeah. everything, but the bands that we played with live, we never played with Bad Religion or Rancid or No yeah. Effects or Pennywise. We played with Fat Bands. Yeah. You know, those were like kind of always the bands that we yeah. were friends with. You know, yeah. the No Uses, the Strung Outs, the Lag Wagons, yeah. Propagandi. You know, those are the bands that we always played with live. We were never on Mike's label, but yeah. um, you know, we just seemed to always pair up with those bands. Yeah. Yeah, you you do sound more like a fat a fat band than Epitaph, you know. Well, I don't think we were ever good enough to be on Fat, according to Mike. So we never. That's <laughs> we that's never that's absurd. <laughs> well, whatever. Mike's absurd. So Mike's Mike's yeah. got his opinions. Yeah, you know? I hear you. I hear you, man. That's yeah, whatever. I I don't I don't believe, whatever. So matters was after that, and that was at Sound City Studios. And uh, why'd you guys decide to, to stay uh, in Southern California this time? Well, there had been a, I don't know how long there was between the uh, the Together Again and the Matters record. A little bit of time, I think. 
uh, three years. Okay. So not that long, but maybe long for us at yeah. that point. Yeah, we had sure. been putting stuff out so quick. Yeah, like every um, two years. We, we, were, we were in discussions with Brett, and we had asked him if he, you know, had any interest in going to the studio and helping us. I think he had just done a melancholy record. And, you know, he said, well, he goes, I, I really want to, but he had a lot of stuff on his plate. And he was doing a lot of producing at that time. Yeah. And and the record label was just, you know, what it was. Yeah. And so he said, I got this guy that, that I'd like to turn you guys on to. So this guy came out to our rehearsal room. Name was Matt Hyde. And he had done some, you know, some pretty big bands up, at, you know, at that time. But he had never done any punk rock records. Yeah. And he came out to the rehearsal and we, and we he basically sat in a chair and, and he would just rock back and forth. And we basically just put on a show for him. We played the set from top to bottom like we would play it live. And we got done, and he just kind of had this little smile on his face. And he goes, yeah, I'd like to do your guys' record. <laughs> and we just went, okay, cool. Well, we thought you were. You know, he's not Brett saying here to do it. And uh, yeah. so he showed up to practice this guy for like a month. Yeah. And and he just uh, he helped us, you know, kind of arrange some things and write some things. It's the first time we ever worked with a guy like that. You yeah. know, normally we would just write everything ourselves. And he just gave us like some his opinions, like a like a sixth member. And 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 there was times when he was like hard on some of the guys and yeah. telling them, "Oh, you got to do this." And and man, we went in and, and recorded the record with him. We tracked some little place, and then uh, and then we recorded most of it at his house. He had like a little home studio and. Yeah. You know, now Pro Tools is huge, so yeah. at this time we weren't recording the tape, so we could go in and just kind of, you know, it was real economically friendly, you yeah. know, to uh, to just uh, record at his house. And I can remember doing all the vocals in the bathroom and, and <laughs> with all these moving blankets around me. Yeah. And we just, it was, it was cool, man. It was a good experience. And we all, I think everybody in the band will admit that we walked away from that, um, feeling like we were better musicians or, yeah. or better uh, better producers or whatever. Whether yeah. it was over the top or we lost an edge, you know, a lot of people kind of bitched about, well, you know, you guys lost the edge to that record's too clean and polished. But, that's crazy. you know, when, when when you've been a band, you, you try to make every record better and better oh, yeah. and better. And, and we're all super proud of it. And we thought the songs were great. And, and um you know, maybe maybe for some people it was a little too glossy, but yeah. we learned how to we learned how to record and we learned how to write and certainly learned how to do like harmonies and, and a lot of other stuff during that session and yeah. and uh, I'm very thankful for that. Yeah, I dude, I matters is I love this album and the song Blindfold. I mean, that's probably my my favorite Poli song, easily my favorite Poli song. And uh, insects. Yeah, it's like one of the hardest ones ever to play live, so we oh, rarely man. ever get to play it. But yeah. can you tell me what that song's about? I mean, do you, are you comfortable sharing that? Here's my take on all the songs. What does it mean to you? Huh? What it means? Whatever it means. Yeah. To you, whatever yeah. it means to you is exactly what it's supposed to mean. I was I was hoping you were going to say that because it means something to me, and I'm like, gosh, I hope it does mean this. So, good answer, that man. Means, <laughs> it's, it, that, and that's and and to be honest with you, I. I that is how every song that I've ever been a part of writing the lyrics to is. is, is I hope that 10 different people, it hits them in a different way, and it all means something to each one of them in a different way. Yeah. Because that's kind of what it should be. Leave the imagination to the viewer. Yeah. You know what I mean? I like that. I and, like that attitude. So after that, you guys kind of were a little bit on a hiatus, right? Because you didn't put out an EP until 2008. Well, we... Uh, it wasn't really so much hiatus as much as it was just, you know, uh, the record label changed. Yeah. And they were no longer, uh, I don't know if it was ever like, hey, we're not going to put a record out. It was just kind of like, well, you know, we're going a different direction. Um, you know, we're signing these bands now. They were signing these, you know, different types of yeah. bands, you know, and, and 
It's like we just don't know where your place is going to be on this. Yeah. And, you know, they kept their they kept their their mainstays. You know, they kept Pennywise yeah. and Rancid. Right. I think they even kept Melancholin. But for the most part, the rest of us just kind of all got thinned out. Yeah. Um. Um. So we were writing and and we were playing live a lot. And we were writing, and um, I guess it just got to a point where we just said, well, we're just going to end up putting it out ourselves. Yeah. And um, I don't know how many years went by. Maybe five years went by before we actually put something out. Yeah. Or four, four years went by before we put something out, and and we, uh, you know, we scraped together some money and found a, found like the whole digital distribution thing, which became all new to us. Yeah. You know, we realized, well, I guess you don't need to be on a label. You don't really have to have physical releases. I mean, people yeah. like to buy them, but yeah. vinyl wasn't very popular at that time. Yeah. You know, it hadn't made its res- its resurgence yet. Yeah. Um, and um, so we put this uh, EP out, and we, you know, it's funny. We, we we spent a little bit of money. We recorded it. We we put it out, and, and we actually made our money back, and and, and then some. And yeah. we hadn't done that in the previous five albums on Epitaph. Wow. And not that. You know, we were ever looking to make money, yeah, yeah, but totally. it was like, wow, we would sell a shit ton of records on Epitaph. <laughs> yeah, but we would never, we would never see any of that. Yeah, you know, but we only sold, you know, a handful of these digital releases or whatever it was, and wow, this thing paid for itself. Yeah. So, uh, you know, we found a guy up in Canada to put out some some physical copies, and some people in Europe, and and then we made some of our own. And when they were done, they were done. Yeah. And then we. Uh, we did the same thing a couple years later with like a, you know, like a two or three, a three song EP. Yeah, the long and short of it. Yeah. Just to kind of keep things going because nobody was buying records. There was no nobody was putting out full albums. Yeah, uh, and we just didn't have the money, you know, to go in. And we weren't going to go, you know, put up whatever it cost to yeah. go record a full length record. Yeah, no kidding. So uh, um, that's kind of how that all happened. And, and then uh, then we stumbled across some friends that that had a, a small label and were interested in putting out a full length. So we uh, we put together the most recent one. Yeah, how did the the Cybertracks thing come about? I mean, did did El Jefe approach you guys? Well, Jen, his wife, and Aaron, or El Jefe, um, they're <laughs> they, they they're they're friends. I mean, they yeah. they would come to shows, and Jen, uh, she was a, like a true fan. Yeah, and um, and so you know, she started her label and she put out a couple records, and she said, "Well, God, I would you know somehow it came up and." conversation or something it's just well i would i would love to put out a record yeah. you guys serious we're like well yeah we're serious we would love to be on this record yeah. She's like really I'm like yeah and that was that so we got together the songs you know about four or five months and yeah. and, and and put it together and then put it out and, was kind of your reunion with Ryan Green as well, right? Um, well, we recorded with Matt again. Oh, okay. um, But all Ryan did was just, he just did some mixing. Yeah. Yeah, he makes a record. Um, but oh, yeah, okay. it's somewhat of a reunion, I, I guess. Gotcha. Yeah, I got gotcha. you. Okay. Partial. <laughs> <laughs> so how, how did you manage pro baseball and, and punk rock? I mean, I know there's a lot of breaks in pro ball, but I mean, you're busy as heck all the time. I mean, how did you make that work? 
Well, in the early years, the recording process was was crazy. Um, you know, I would write a lot of songs. Yeah. Um, we would play a lot of gigs over the winter, and it seemed like we would go in the studio during the season. So the guys would go in and they would track. And then uh, when Ryan was, you know, down here in L.A., uh-huh. <laughs> excuse me, um, I would go to the studio and sing a song from like 10 o'clock in the morning to 1. And then I would go to yeah. the field, play the game, <laughs> and then come back to the studio at night and record another song. Wow. And so if I had a homestand for like a week, we would we would knock it out during that period and, and we would do all the vocals and that, you know, and that kind of, that's how we did it. Yeah. Um, it was gnarly. Yeah. Yeah. It wasn't easy. And that's why that third record, the self-titled one was such a, cause we actually recorded it right when the season was over and yeah. it all went up there yeah. and it was just, it was a different atmosphere, but it was, uh, yeah. I mean, I would be on like an eight month tour. Yeah. Basically with baseball nonstop yeah and then i'd come home and a couple weeks later we'd go on a three-week european tour we'd go on a you know two-week canadian tour we'd do something in the u.s or whatever it was and and, um we didn't get to do what you know probably we ultimately wanted to all the time but it was cool that things lined up you know there not a lot of bands go on tour during the winter so we could go over to europe yeah and People were, they were kind of hungry for music, so it would go over well. We would go up to Eastern Canada in, you know, in November, December, and it would go over well. And we were landing these gigs with like The Descendants, Propaganda, you know, U.S. tours with Melancholy. Yeah. All the European stuff we could kind of hold our own. We'd tour with Lagwagon over there, or yeah. for a name over there. Um, but it just, we got lucky and we got to get on a lot of, a lot of good, a good tours a lot of good tours and, and, and be a support band. And, yeah. and so it made it worth the while. Um, but we weren't like touring 12 months a year. Yeah. It was kind of like, it was like vacation for yeah. us. Yeah. But for me personally, it was, it was gnarly. Yeah. That's great. Cool. I mean, yeah. That, it means so busy. Um, how was like uh, punk rock and, and uh, compared to baseball? I mean, as a performer, you know, singing, I mean, was it, different than uh than pitching or were there kind of like similarities like the same feelings you know uh i i don't think there's really any comparison other than and and i don't you know i don't know punk rock's different for every person yeah um you know but i definitely think that there's an anger side to it that attracts a lot of people yeah. you know there's a, there's a, there's a, there's an edge to it that, yeah. that attracts people and and whether that's something that, you know, we each went through personally in our lives or some sort of, you know, pent up anger, whatever it is. Um, and, and playing a sport and, you know, that, that, that like one-on-one type competition, yeah. um, you, you kind of have that same chip, that same anger. Right. Um, it has, it has to be there to fuel you the competitiveness to, to be good and to succeed. So, um, Music is definitely creative and artistic and, and, and enjoyable because it's with my friends, yeah. people that I would actually hang out with. Um, you know, baseball was more of a job, but, but but my moment in a game was comparable to maybe, you know, being 16 years old and, and jumping into a slam pit, you know, when the circle jerks were playing. Yeah. And, and I was just swinging my arms around just yeah. trying to, like, get hit in the face. Yeah. You know, it's kind of, it's it's like, you're, you're, you're releasing something in both. So yeah. there's a comparison in that, but two completely opposite worlds. Oh, yeah, totally. Um, can we talk about your baseball career a little bit? You ask me the questions and I'll answer. <laughs> so you started with the White Sox. Like, see, this, I mean, I didn't know you were a baseball player until a little bit later after I got into Poli, and the Dodgers are my favorite team, so... I was I've always just kind of looked looked up to you like oh my god this guy is in one of my favorite bands of all time on my favorite uh baseball team you know like I love baseball and I've I've never spoke to somebody who played pro ball you know what I mean it's just it's it's odd to me that uh I don't know, that that they exist you know what I mean and they're normal people so I don't know anyway uh you started on the White Sox I mean were were you friends with you know, some of these, these players, because 
these players are, are Hall of Famers, you know what I mean? And you're you were part of this this team. Like you played with a lot of good players. Well, I mean, to find friends. You know, I mean I was teammates with my locker was next to Carlton Fisk for three years. Yeah. Um, you know, Bo Jackson was on my team. Frank Thomas was on my team. Yeah. Um, if I see all these guys in the street, we're going to give each other a hug. But, uh, you know, we never hung out. I, I wasn't, yeah. you know, the big, like, bar scene, disco guy. That yeah. You know, you, you can imagine that, like, I, I definitely wasn't a super outcast, but I, I was a little bit against the grain. Yeah. And, and they accepted me in that world because I was able to do my job and do my job well. Yeah. Um, so... Yeah, I was the only guy wearing vans going to the field, or I was the only guy that was, you know, dressed like this. Yeah. Everybody else kind of, you know, had that image. I had my Toyota truck, and they they pull up in their Mercedes. Yeah. Um, just what it was. Yeah. Now, so, did I get along with everybody? I get along with everybody. Yeah. You know, um, I, 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 nobody ever treated me different or gave me a hard time for who I was. Uh-huh. They allowed me and encouraged me to be myself. Yeah. And so, you know, it, if if, it, if I wasn't getting the outs and probably getting it done, maybe I would have got a little more vibe from, you know, upper management or something to, you know, clean up my act or yeah. whatever. But I wasn't, like I said, I wasn't complete anarchist, but yeah. you, you definitely, t- you know, if you looked at the lineup, you'd say, well, God, <laughs> this guy doesn't fit in there. He, he rode his bike to the field today. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, but it also, I think it was just, that was the way that was the way I was going to be successful was by being myself and yeah. not trying to be something I wasn't. And, and, and I, I got along with all my teammates and, and I don't know if they ever knew what I did or, you know, understood completely. I mean, imagine sitting in the bullpen and, and, and here's these guys and we're talking, you know, early April, you know, season's just starting and guys uh-huh. are talking about sitting in a tree stand hunting over the winter. Or yeah. This guy went to Hawaii or this guy did that. And I'm, and I'm thinking to myself, <laughs> I just played, you know, 18 squats in Europe and I slept on the floor every yeah. night. They don't relate to that. Nope. You know, not even close. So, yeah, I yeah, mean, it was what it was. Yeah, that's but why it, it's such it a was, cool uh, story, man. You know, it was a great balance, man. Yeah, yeah, it was, it was, I'm, I'm super proud to say that I was able to exist and, and in that world yeah. and, uh, and survive and not be, uh, and, and be accepted. Yeah. You know what I mean? Did you have any of the players, know what you were doing and ever come to a show did it ever go that far there was a couple guys that, yeah. that came to some gigs um you know we played some gigs when i was back with the white Sox. uh played a couple shows in chicago and milwaukee and uh-huh. a couple of the guys in the bullpen I, I was closer with some of the relief pitchers um there was a guy in the dodgers uh pinch hitter named dave hansen uh-huh. um he he still to this day will come to shows wow that's um, cool you know, so, uh, yeah, I mean, but, but no, not for the most part, no, um, not too many. Yeah. And, and actually, no, none. I just named the two that did, <laughs> you know? Yeah. So when you were, were getting into to baseball, I mean, how, I mean, you were working super hard at this, but you're such a great singer too. Like, I, I'm just... You, they usually don't go hand in hand, so I'm wondering why you were sticking with it when you were when you were younger. It was just something you really enjoyed doing. The baseball or the band? The uh, the baseball. Um, you know what? I, I actually in tenth grade I got kicked off the team. Yeah. My first year of high school, eleventh grade I, I had this. Our sixth period was baseball class, and I I was enrolled in the class, but I never went. And the. Uh, the high school coach saw me in the middle of school one day, and he said, Hey, Rudinsky. He goes, aren't you in my class? And I said, yep. He goes, well, when are you going to show up? And I said, uh, I don't know. He goes, why don't you get your gear and show up today? And and I don't know if it was just maybe him kind of reaching out, recognizing me and yeah. saying, hey, why aren't you showing up? And so from that day on, I, I started going, and, and uh, that was – kind of around the middle of my junior year in high school. And um, it just, it just, I started having success. I started really having fun. I, yeah. I the competition of being able to win, yeah. I, I liked it. Yeah. And it was, it was fun. And, and it was, it was, it was, uh, it was my way 
of being able to, because I wasn't a jock, and I didn't hang out with those guys. Yeah. And those guys, you know, they walked around like they were cool as shit. Yeah. And here's me, you know, this shaved head guy who was hanging out with dudes with mohawks during lunch. Yeah. And, 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 and I was better than them. Finally, I'd like, I passed these guys up. Yeah. And uh, it just, that's, it just took off. And then I realized, like, oh, shit, man. I actually might not have to get a job or go to college, and yeah. I might actually have a chance to play professional baseball. Yeah. I was all in. That's awesome. And ever since that day, I just, you know, and the music was always there. Yeah. That wasn't going anywhere. Yeah. But uh, it was just, I think, the fact that I had the opportunity, and this one guy kind of reached out to me at, at the right time. Yeah. And uh, just sparked my interest, and, uh, you know, all the moons were aligned, and turned out to be a, a, a lifelong dream. That's awesome. You, and you own Skate Lab, right? That's the skate I park? did. Oh, you did. Okay. Yeah, we, we closed in January. Uh, I'm sorry about that. Yeah, wow. well, you know, 21 years, it was a good run. And, yeah. Um, I had some people managing it, and I'm sure they're... Uh, their pockets are a little <laughs> a little thicker now, you yeah. know, because of it. But uh, right. it's one of those stories where... You know, you do a good thing, and kids, it was my way of giving back to the community. Yeah. And uh, I wasn't in it for the money. Yeah. And it, that wasn't what it was supposed to be about, and just kind of got taken advantage of a little too long and finally had to put a stop to it, uh, basically what it came down to. That's too bad. So how did how did your uh, your coaching gigs come about after after your time in baseball? Um, I finished playing with the Indians somewhere around 2003 and uh they asked if i had any interest in and in, uh you know continuing on on the other side uh-huh. and uh well i'll give it a try and you know i'd always had uh an ability to kind of connect with players and kind of read read the bullfish you uh-huh. know um and and uh put a, put a pretty even perspective on on keeping the game simple because yeah there, it's saturated with so much information and, and just so much crap that, yeah. you know, I think uh, it's nice to have a voice to keep things level. And, and uh, I think someone recognized that and offered me the opportunity. And so I gave it a whirl for a year, and uh, it just seemed like a natural fit. It seemed like the next progression for me. And, yeah. and uh, you know, I was in my late 30s or whatever, 40 years old. I, I wasn't going to stop working. Yeah. I wanted to continue, and I, I didn't want to get a job at Home Depot. So, yeah. um you know, this is a good opportunity to stay in the game and, and, and do what I love and, and be able to, you know, help guys understand how to go about their job the right way. Yeah. And and so that's kind of what I did. Yeah. And you're not doing that anymore, right? Uh, Well, you know, this is the first year I haven't, but uh, I did work with uh, uh, USA Baseball this year for a month down in Florida with the oh, okay. player development program. Uh, I went over to Europe and did uh, some stuff over there with some professional baseball leagues over there. Uh-huh. Um, and uh, but you know, I, I I haven't worked the full. This is the first time since 1986 I haven't had the eight month everyday grind. Wow. Um, and it's kind of been enjoyable. But That's I've I've great. definitely had uh, my fix of baseball over the summer for sure. Yeah. And You know, I've been working with this like local high school team, and so you know, I'm staying around it. Yeah. I just haven't had to. Uh, I haven't had to report to anybody, and. Yeah. and uh, the game's kind of changing yeah and um you know um, uh, there's a lot of valuable information out there that that helps us become better uh uh-huh. you know uh at at a you know passing on the information to a player yeah but there's also uh there's also a lot of things that you know people who've been there and done it kind of you know i stick to kind of my roots and i i know really what works and i'm not stubborn yeah by no means and i don't have all the answers yeah but uh I have a hard time sometimes when the computer tells me that this is what's supposed to happen, and I, and I and I kind of think, well, wait a second, yeah. you know that that's not going to work, and you just don't have time to. to I don't want to be in a position where I'm going to disappoint a guy for three months and have an experimental project, and yeah. then you know, and in the end, turn around and have to. Oh God damn! I, I told you so. You know what I mean? Yeah. Here we are we're back to the the drawing board again. I got to reconvince this guy, and it just. Sometimes the information puts you in a bad spot as a coach. Yeah. So uh, the year off hasn't been bad. Yeah, that's awesome. So are there any uh, uh, plans in the future for Poli? Um, well, we just got back from Europe. Yeah. Uh, we're playing with Black Flag on Sunday. Oh, cool. Um, we're doing. Uh, we're going to Denver next week. 
playing a gig there. Yeah. Uh, we've got a gig in L.A. early October. We're going to Chicago the end of October. We just booked some shows with Lagwagon cool. uh, during Christmas and New Year's. So, yeah, I mean, there's always stuff. Yeah, yeah. We've been writing. I mean, uh, I think me and Mike have about six songs right now that we've been writing. And, um, you know, just it always goes, yeah. That's great. Well, I just want to say uh, I appreciate what you've done with your career. I look up to you, and uh, you've brought me joy for, for years and years and years, and I am in awe that you would actually talk to some schmuck like me. I'm, I really appreciate it, man. Good. 48 minutes to some schmuck like you. Come on, man. What are you talking about? I'm, well, I'm, you know. I'm, uh, thank you. That, that is, that, I mean, there's, there's nothing more enjoyable in life than to get a compliment, and I can't thank you enough. And I, I reach out anytime, man. It's, cool. uh, it was a pleasure. Awesome, man. Thank you very much. I'll send you a link to uh, uh, when the show airs, buddy. Please do. All right. Thanks a lot, dude. All I right. appreciate it. All right. Thank you, man. See ya. And there it was, Scott Radinsky of Poli 10-Foot Pole. That originally aired November 2nd, 2019. I went to a show after that. Um, they opened up for Lagwagon New Year's Eve at uh, Slim's. Yeah, no longer there. And uh, got him to sign some baseball cards. He recognized me and knew who I was instantly. One of the greatest nights of my life. Thanks a lot. I love Poli. Huge influence you can go to justpunkenough.com and listen to that whole show with all the music. Thanks for listening, guys.